Would you grab your Bibles and turn to Jude? We'll read our text and then you can have a seat and the kids can leave us. Unless you kids want to stay here with me, I'm real fun today. Y'all want to stay here with me? So there's a change in the direction and the tone of what Jude is sharing today. He's going to move away from his calling out and describing apostates and false teachers to now addressing um, believers and how they are to move forward and navigate and have a guide uh, in the midst of a time when those things, apostates and false teaching, is there. So that's what we'll see today. 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. He comes back to the same theme again. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, showing mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You may be seated. Kids, you guys can take off. All right. I love survival movies. And if I were real honest this morning, as a word of confession, you may think bad of me, but just give me some grace. I like zombie movies. Um, I don't believe that zombies are ever going to come and they're going to be present. But what I like about those movies, and I like some of the, the, the things related to that kind of stuff, is I love watching the characters from the beginning of the movie have to confront things, be betrayed by people, have to overcome being betrayed and, and losing some people. And I love most of all the very end of the movie when the survivors are there and they are victorious. And so I, those are kind of my kind of movies, those kind of people fighting and struggling along to get to a place and then all of a sudden they are greatly victorious. One of the reasons I like that is because of movie theaters today. You get to push buttons and lean back and put your feet up. Some of the movie theaters are so awesome, there are heated seats. A low heat and a high heat. And so I can watch all of that and kind of go, wow, look at that, and, and be amazed. And, and, you know, I've spent a little bit of money, and my blood pressure rises and falls throughout the two to three hours I'm there, and I enjoy that, but it's entertainment, loving heroic things, and a place of comfort. What I love more than that is reading the stories in Scripture and reading the stories in history of true heroes, men and women and teenagers and children who faithfully loved God deeply in the midst of a culture, in a time that was putting significant pressure upon them. 
Would they trust and stand on the rock? Would they cling to his testimonies? When false teaching was arising and they and it was taking maybe family members away and church members away. And so I love reading about that testimony, don't you as well? To look at those and to learn from them and to be encouraged by the staying power that comes, not because people are great, but the God in whom these people trust is great. And he is able to do significant things in their lives. This is what Jude has been doing. So I think I'm getting through today, verse 23, and we'll just have next week. And the way Jude closes this are very practical things for us so that we would know kind of a survival guide. Here's what you need to know to navigate days and times when false teaching and lies from the culture and even inside the church culture are being taught and they are drawing people away and confusing people. What do we need tool-wise to maintain our faith? And so Jude has been forewarning those in his generation so that they will be forearmed to be ready to confront and to know how to navigate these things. So today we will see these practical things that Jude shares here. He gives us some parameters of things we need to be aware of that will keep our lives from buying the lies of false teaching and apostates. And so he will give us some very specific tools to survive the craziness of the day. I want to remind us this morning that Satan, the devil, the liar, whatever you want to call him, has no new strategy since Genesis chapter 3. There is nothing new. Now, throughout the generations in history, it's been repackaged in various forms, but it's the same strategy that he did in Genesis chapter 3, and that is to get people who know God to not trust the nature of God and the Word of God that has come from the holy nature of God. That is what he has done from the beginning, and that is what he's going to continue to do, to get us to question God's goodness God's nature and the word that has come from the goodness of God's nature and his loving kindness for us. And so just as he did in Genesis chapter three, the first church had been birthed and born. It is about three and a half decades old as Jude writes this in Satan's great aim in the early church. Satan's great aim in 2023 is the same. And that is to continue to distort the word of God and to create doubt with people in the church and confusion with them. And so this short letter that we have began in January is deep, right? Would you agree with me? This is, this is a deep little letter. We started the first Sunday in January, and here we are just a week away from April. And so there is so much in this little letter that we need to know, and it is been given to us, praise God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, so that every church throughout every age could know the vital principles that we need to navigate this life. So I want you to turn back four books just for a moment to Second Peter to your left. And I want to show you something in Second Peter for a moment. And then we'll get back into Jude. 
Many scholars believe this. It's become apparent to me because I, I've taught Second Peter, I had memorized Second Peter, and then uh, been teaching in Jude here. It's it's very evident that Jude had either read Second Peter, or Jude and Peter had had extensive conversations about things. But I think it's pretty clear that Jude, um, from what we understand, wrote Jude um, a bit after Second Peter was written. Because there are some of the same, exact same phrases that are used there. And so it's, it's, it's most likely probably that Jude had read this, but we don't fully know for sure. But what we just read a while ago is going to sound familiar. Second Peter 3, verse 1 and 2. So Peter says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. See that word beloved there? In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires." So those three verses in 2 Peter 3 that we, we call 2 Peter are very similar and almost precise to what we see in the book of Jude. You can go back to Jude now. And so they are affirming two writers who knew Jesus, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, would have known one another, would have been dealing with the same kind of issues that the church was dealing with at the same time, is writing to them and sharing with them that they need to remember. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. So we will see today that Jude lists the essential commands and disciplines that are needed so that we will not fall prey to what is not biblically true. Before we get into that, I want to point out something that is going on today so that you will be reminded when you hear it out there today, and particularly in Western cultures, more European and American culture in Canada probably as well, is you're hearing the word a lot today in today's day and time about the word diversity. Would you agree with me? You hear a lot about the word diversity. I begin to hear and see and begin to really see in, 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 in regard to this word and how it is being used in the culture today, that it's being used today different than what the actual definition is. The word diversity just ultimately really means this. It means a group of people that come from differing, differing backgrounds, ethnicities, can't say that word very good this morning, or different language, and, and it's a group of people that are different but there's a commonality that is connected with them. That's the definition of diversity, but that's not how diversity has been redefined and is being defined in our culture today. Diversity is a good word. It's not a, it's not a bad word. It just indicates that there are differences to people. It's kind of like Europe. If you've ever traveled to Europe, um, we lived in Germany for four years. There are unique things to the German culture and architecture and things that are different from other places. On every corner in Germany is a bakery. If you go to Italy, on every corner there's ice cream. If you go to different places, there's this kind of thing. And there's a, there's a, a diversity 
that's beautiful in the midst of the different cultures. But when you hear the word diversity talked about today, it's been redefined to mean this, that diversity means that everybody has to think in the same manner and we all have to be forced to be the same. And so what I want to remind you and I today is this, is that our culture today, particularly in the Western world, is using this, but it doesn't mean differences and the unique differences. It is being used today to simply do this, to use it as a way to conform people to one ideology and to one kind of thinking. And I want to remind us this morning that as God's people who trust and believe in the the worth and the certainty of the scripture that we are not to conform to the ways of the world. We are called to live differently and to think differently. And yet, even in the midst of that, that we will see today that we are to have mature, God-loving lives grounded in scripture, and yet we are to be deeply concerned about those who are not in the faith who are in the dangers of the fires of hell, who are in dangers of walking away from the one who loved them and made them and created them. And so we will look at these things today. Romans 12 tells us to not conform to the pattern of this world, but by the renewing of our mind, by knowing the truth of God's word, Paul writes there that we are able to discern what we're hearing to know whether it's true or whether it's not true. Are y'all with me? So this, this is continuing to be. Diversity no longer means the uniquenesses of differences. Diversity now has a new definition that everybody can form to one idea. So look with me in 17 through 18 again, through 19. And I want to talk about, first of all, this first tool of remembering and recalling the truth. So here you'll see this. This is very similar to 2 Peter 3 that we just read a while ago. So Jude writes, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, and devoid of the Spirit. So here's the first tool that I want us to talk about this morning that I think is very important for us. If we're going to navigate days like this, we're going to navigate when there is, there is access to so much false teaching and so much tearing down of the faith that has been a part of the church for 2,000 years. It's been certain and sure, and now there is doubt upon that. It's been cast, and many people are buying that. How do we navigate through that? And I think it's no surprise that what Jude and what Peter call us to is this, is that he calls us to first to know the word, place it deep inside our lives. So in moments of our lives, we are able to pull that out. We are able to remember it. We are able to recall it. Here's an example. Helga can probably tell you this and Annette probably as well. Helga Moore, I'll probably talk with Helga Moore. There was a time... When I was decent at speaking the German language, I'd lived there for four years. I'd gone to school, learning it, practicing it. I made myself when I go out. I would talk to people when I was out in German. 
I got to a place about 20 months in where I was preaching in German. But now I've been back in the United States for a, since 2008, about coming up on 15 years now. And I've quit over 15 years putting German words inside my head and inside my life. The ones that are there, I don't speak it as much, and so they don't come out of my life as much. Now, for the most part, I can understand most of the things that are there, but following the correct grammar rules and, and all that kind of stuff anymore, those kind of things have fallen by the wayside. And listen, church, just as what's happened with my German language skills This can happen to our spiritual lives. If we are not consistently putting into our lives the stories, the strong strong doctrines, the strong theology, if we're not consistently over and over pouring that into our lives, it's eventually going to kind of spill out. And there's going to come a moment where we need to recall something a principle from a story. We need to remember something that we had been taught. And it's going to be harder for us to pull that out of our heart and our mind if we are not consistently pouring the Word in, talking about it, being encouraged by the truth, and and walking with others who are walking in the same manner. And so so Jude here, as, as well as Peter, just says this. He says, Church, beloved, those loved of God... And the ones God loves and you have been redeemed. I want to remind you in a time when a culture and even inside the church, false teaching and bad things are being said to try to change your mind. It is absolutely critical for you that you remember, you remember the things that you have been taught so that you can draw those things out and you make application in the moment to keep your life connected to and clinging to the foundation of Jesus. Now, you may disagree with me, but I think today the greatest need in the church today is discernment. To be able to to know what the truth is and to recognize what is not the truth, and that is distinct in our understanding as we live our lives. Without discernment, Romans 12 talks about and other places talk about, we are not able to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. So Jude is saying to us and saying to those in the first century, it is absolutely important that you remember. Now, we like the Bible here, right? Amen? So I'm going to ask you to turn back four books to the left to Second Peter again. And I want you to go earlier in the book for a moment. Because I want Peter to reinforce what we're talking about here, what Jude is sharing with us. And I want you to go to chapter 1 this time in Second Peter. <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 12. So Peter says, 2 Peter 1 verse 12, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Stop there just for a second. Look up here. So he's saying this. Listen, you've been taught certain things. You have these things. You know these things. 
But what I want to do now with you is I, I want to remind you of things that you know that you already have so that you can put them to use. And so, again, the same idea here. Look at verse 13. And so Peter says, I think it's right that as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make, he says in 15, every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now listen to the heart of Peter. As long as I'm on this planet and I'm in relationship with you that I'm writing to to you, Jesus has told me, and Jesus did tell him, that one day, y'all remember at the end of John there, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they're walking along together, and Jesus tells Peter, when you're older, Peter, somebody's going to take you by the hand, and they're going to lead you to a place that you really don't want to go. And it it was indicating to him that he was going to die for his faith. That was going to come. So now he's writing... And he recognizes that that date and that prophecy, that word from Jesus was going to be coming true in his life. And now he's got these Christians that he's pastored, he's loved, he's written to them, he's wept with them, he's been persecuted alongside of them. And he says this to them as, and I love what Peter does in 2 Peter. He doesn't call himself the first pope because he wasn't the first pope. He doesn't call himself, well, I'm Peter the Apostle. I was the original leader. I love what he does at the end of 1 Peter where he just calls himself a fellow elder and a, and a, a believer, a shepherd, just one of the people that was there and was in relationship with them. And he says this to them, as long as I am in your life, until I leave this body, I want you to know the truth of God's word, so that at any time you can reach into your life and you can pull out the stories and the truths that are in the Old Testament and that have now been written by the apostles that have come to you. So I remind us, if you're a parent, you have said to these little people that look like us, over and over and over and over, Some of the same things. Why? Because we have things spill out of our mind and we desperately need to remember and to be reminded. So I, Sunday after Sunday, when I get the opportunity to stand here, remind everybody in this room, and you better say amen here. I remind you every Sunday that you better know God's word and be in God's word, right? Because if we don't, the lies of the culture do dominate and they do take over and people do fall to the lies. And there needs to be somebody somewhere that is able to draw out of their life the truthful things that the Bible has intended for us to understand and to speak them and to teach them, and most importantly, 
to live them, to do them. We are to be some of the best doing people on the planet, doing good works, speaking truth and being loving as we do that. And you can be deeply uncompromising and loving at the same time. You can do that. But we need to be the kind of people that are willing to be that. And so Jude, Peter reminds us it is critical to, re- to, to know the truth, to be able to recall the truth, and to live the truth. Now, it's interesting to me here. I want to share just a few more words here before we get into the others. That I look, look again with me in verse 17. So he says, you've got to remember these, Jude 17, if you get back to Jude. But you must remember, beloved. Now, I want you to note here. Can I ask a really simplistic question? That's not to insult your intelligence, okay? We're, I'm gonna re, we're gonna read something in this verse here, and I wanna ask you the question Do you see the word prophets in what we're about to read? Okay? So here, look with me. Look in 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, so let me ask the question Did you see the word prophets there? No. Okay, it's not a trick question. You're like, are you trying to trick me? I want to show you something that Jude does here that is astounding. That is confirmation for us as to why we can trust the scripture. So Jude is writing this letter. Most conservative scholars would say he wrote this around 65 AD. Uh, The fall of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD. We're pretty sure that most of all of these books were written, except for Revelation, were written before the fall of Jerusalem because none of them mention the fall of Jerusalem at all. And you would think that that would have been a big deal. So most of these letters of the New Testament were probably most likely written before 70 AD. So Peter wrote this probably as well. Uh, his, his letter that we call Second Peter before Jude wrote this. Now I want you to note here. So the the church has been built on the foundation of the teaching and the proclamation of the prophets. Yes, that's in Ephesians. But I want you to know what Jude does here. He doesn't include the word prophet. Now, he's not discounting what the prophets did. He's highlighting something that was already present before 70 AD. Do you know what was guiding the New Testament churches? The apostles' teaching was. You can see that in Acts 2.42. You can read that through the book of Acts. There was already an understanding by the time Jude wrote this that there was clear teaching that was settled for the church, the books that the church was to embrace and what was to guide them. That's why Jude here is saying this. Listen, church, you can have confidence knowing this, that the apostles taught us the eyewitnesses of Jesus, the ones that were with them, the ones that have written Scripture, we can trust what they have taught us. And they've taught us this. Exactly what Jesus told them and taught them is that there was coming in the days ahead, there would be false teaching that would enter the church, it would be a danger to the church. And so the apostles, we can trust what they taught because they learned from Jesus. And so Jude here giving great affirmation to the teaching of the apostles. 
Now, I want to touch on this just for a moment because I think it's absolutely critical for me to communicate this to you. So I've been sharing with you this rise in our day and time of of false teaching and the subtleness that is connected with it. And and it is out there all over in internet land. And so I have been um, trying to learn how do you communicate to people who are attacking the scripture and yet call themselves followers of Jesus? How do we go about winning them and, and, and at least sharing truth with them that would, would enable them to go back maybe in their mind to recall people like, like our leaders on Wednesday night. By the way, we have great leaders on Wednesday night that pour into our students. That eventually people like our leaders on Wednesday night have been, that they can recall when they were in a youth group and somebody loved them and, and was patient with them when they had some pretty crazy ideas and they poured the truth into them no matter what, even, and they would disagree with the, with the student. And so I've been trying to learn how to better do that. And all out there is all of these kind of different kinds of attacks. And one of the, one of the primary ones is this one, is we cannot trust the Bible. It can't be trusted. And that attack comes from I mean, gajillion different areas and directions. And so what I want to say, one, this morning, is that's not going to change. The Scripture's been attacked for the last 2,000 years. It was, the Old Testament was attacked as well. So that's not going to change. Jude is telling us, Peter is telling us, Jesus told us that in the last days there's going to be scoffers, and they're going to attack. So what I want to remind you and I of this morning, what Jude is doing, what Peter did, and what Jesus did with the twelve, is to remind us that that this is a reality. We should not be shocked by this. We've been told that this is going to be the case. So we know it's the case, and so therefore, we become the kind of people who trust the eyewitnesses and the earwitnesses who saw Jesus and heard Jesus. And one of the things that's out there that I've been trying to learn how to dialogue with this 20-something generation that's out there is they just say, you just can't trust, you can't trust something that's come from the first century. And there's this permeating idea that's encompassed so many that we are smarter today who never saw, smarter than those who never saw Jesus do a miracle, never saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. But nowadays we are smarter than what those who saw it and heard it have said. And what I, want, I, want, I, want, what I hope this morning is that would become clear for all of us is that Jude is emphasizing that the teaching of the apostles was to be trusted. So when they wrote these letters and books to us and for God's glory and to tell the story of the gospel. We can rely on them. And so Jude writes here, the predictions, the predictions of the apostles that they said this was going to come. And so now, what had come? What had come? Everything that they had said had now come. There was false teaching. To give further evidence, 
of the authority of the apostles' teaching is this. So most of the New Testament, written before 70 A.D., John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been arrested for his faith. He's been sent away. And there he is as a prisoner for the gospel, stuck on an island. Jesus shows up one day while John is worshiping. He sees the glory and the majesty of Jesus. And then Jesus describes for John seven churches. And they're found in Revelation 2 and 3. Five of the seven have these very same issues that Peter's writing about and Jude is writing about. Only two of the seven churches, Jesus doesn't have anything negative to say about them. Five of the seven, Jesus says this, I have this against you. And you know what, he, you know what those five things were? Those five churches that were not doing things right were allowing in the church teaching that did not line up with the apostles' teaching. So when I stand up here Sunday after Sunday and I remind you and I, we must trust the eyewitnesses in whom the Spirit moved to write these things down. I'm sorry, they are smarter than anybody in the room here. They are. And so therefore, we want to trust what the Spirit led them to write down. Now we're going to go through the other principles a little quicker now. But the first way to be able to navigate a culture like ours today, a spiritual culture like ours today, and a church culture like ours today, is we've got to remember and be able to recall the truth. Because if not, he said this, look at verse 18. In the last time, there's going to be scoffers. These scoffers follow their own godly passions. They cause divisions in the church. They're worldly people. And note the last thing of verse 18. They are devoid of the what? So what are they? If they don't have the Holy Spirit, what are they? They're unbelievers. So these are unbelievers, Judas describing here, in the church, teaching the people of God, and they're not believers. I said this a few weeks ago. The Lutheran church in Germany, this is 2023. Germany was the place where Reformation was strongly, strongly established. Most of the Lutheran pastors, 83% of them was the last study that I read, did not believe the Bible was the authoritative word of God. And yet Sunday after Sunday, they would stand up in German churches and preach from the book that they didn't believe was the word of God. Those same studies discovered that those pastors also were most likely unbelievers. So what do you have from the generation leading up to World War II that allowed, didn't, didn't fight back against Hitler? Didn't strongly establish themselves after all of that. What do you have when you have unbelieving, unregenerate, not Bible-believing pastors? Well, you have a culture, and we live there, that is absolutely ungodly. 
And I need, I need you to hear this today. This is where we are headed here. And that's why it's important for us to be the kind of people that cling to the rock and cling to the testimonies so that somebody is speaking the truth in the midst of the chaos. There must be clarity. So Jude says, you've got to affirm the apostles' teaching. You've got to be able to put it in your life to remember it and to recall it, because if not, there's going to be scoffers and they're going to mock all of this belief. And they will be worldly-minded and they will be devoid of the Spirit. Here's the second thing. And it's what we're doing this morning. So we do on Wednesday nights. So we're going to do Saturday here on our campus. Next Jude says, but you, beloved, comes back to it. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. So he reminds them again. I want to remind you, you're, you're the beloved of God. And so therefore, you've got to remember what the apostles have taught. We've got to know these things so that we can recall them and live them. But also, you've got to take responsibility for your own faith that you would build yourself up in the holy faith that has been given to you in your salvation. So, in other words, you, I, must take an active role in our own faith to build it up. You don't need to come to my house because I'm the pastor and I'm just... So much smarter than you, okay? Joke. Come to my house every morning and say, Doe, can you tell me something I'm supposed to do today? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? No, 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 no. Sit at your back porch and your table and read what God tells you what to know about Him and how to live. We are to take responsibility for our own growth and... We are to take responsibility for the growth of other believers. This is a mutual thing that we are doing today. Gathering together, hearing consistently the preaching of the word. By the way, this word predictions that was there in the verse before um, consists of the word, um, this this Greek word um, called rhema, which means the spoken word as a living voice. And it was was connected to something that was said before that would come true in the future. And it could be trusted and believed. And so this is, this is what's there. We are, to, we are to build our lives up in the faith and allowing others to pour their lives into us and us pouring our lives into other people. So how do we do that? We'll expose our lives to as much truth as we can. Study, listen, talk, meet with people. Look at the scripture together. Wrestle with it. Find out what the words actually mean. We are to build our lives up in the faith. We should practice all of the disciplines. Fasting. Solitude. Hey, this campus is open. I'm sorry we have houses everywhere now, but we have houses everywhere. This used to be prettier out here. No offense to those of you that are neighbors. It used to be prettier when all these subdivisions weren't around here. But it's incredibly quiet up here. If you don't have a place where things are quiet, come up here and just sit down and and meditate and think and read the Scripture. We should practice all of the disciplines. Why? 
because it builds us up in our faith to be strong. It builds us up to know what's true and not true. And so, so we are to do this together and on our own. One other verse, and we'll go to the third point. Therefore, this is Philippians 2.12, Paul writing, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to both will and to work for His good pleasure. One of the reasons you gather on a Sunday morning like this is this is a reminder to you and I that we are not alone. This is a reminder to you and I that we must all, including myself, sit under the authority of the apostles' teaching that has come to us through the inspiration of the Spirit. We stop and talk to people. We find out things that we've been praying for them about during the week. Well, how did that go this week? Any progress with that? We get together in other places and we see one another. And we encourage one another and it builds us up. That's why just checking out of church and people saying, but I have a thriving relationship with God doesn't square with Scripture because we are to build one another up as the beloved and we are to come and to learn. We are to come and to teach. We are to come and see examples. We are to come and be an example. And so so to navigate a world in which we live today, we've got to know the truth so that we can recall the truth. And we must take responsibility to build our own life up. And he says this, in your most holy faith. Study the word. This most holy faith here in the Greek, the meaning is really clear. We are to study and build ourselves up in our most holy faith. The Greek indicates this is the whole work of truth that has been given to the church. And we build ourselves up by that. Thirdly. He says, here's how you navigate. You pray in the Holy Spirit. We just saw a while ago, false teachers didn't have the Spirit. So because we have the Spirit, we pray in the Spirit. What does that mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, sometimes, have you ever been there? And life is so overwhelming because of maybe someone, maybe a kid, maybe a spouse, maybe some, some, some other situation. Have you ever been there and you don't even know what, you don't know what words you need to pray in the moment? You don't, you don't know what to say. But the moment's heavy. And you know that prayer needs to be made. And so there's sometimes in our lives where life is so overwhelming, we don't know what to do. We don't even know what to say. There is a gift that has been given to God's people, and it's this. Did you know this? That the Holy Spirit prays for us. Listen to these words. Romans eight twenty six. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So there's an aspect of praying in the Holy Spirit that I feel sometimes looking at our American culture and even at times the church culture and going, God, what do we do about this? God, what can we do about this? Well, I know this, that God knows those things and that even the Spirit in those moments intercedes for us. But I also know this, that to pray in the Spirit, one is the Spirit sometimes prays for us because we don't know what to do and how we ought to pray. But I think there's other places and it's really clear that we are to pray in the Spirit and to pray the will of God. The Spirit's great work Jesus taught us in the upper room was to bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus said. Jesus said that when He comes, the Spirit will guide you into the things that I have said. And so when we pray in the Spirit to build other believers up, to pray for those that are wandering away from the faith. We do so in the Spirit in this way that we are praying in the Spirit by being in the will of God, by agreeing with the will of God, keeping in step with the Spirit, by lining our prayers up and lining our life up with God's will and praying in line with that. So we are to pour His Word in us so that we can recall it. We are to build our lives up as the beloved and take responsibility for our growth and take responsibility for the others as well that we grow up. And we are to pray in line, in the power of the Spirit, praying the will of God, living the will of God, keeping step with the will of God, praying in the Spirit for God to move and for God to change. Fourthly, he says, keep your lives in the love of God. This word keep in the Greek means to guard or to be a warden of a jail. It's a command to give urgent care and attention to something. So he says, you keep yourself in the love of God. You guard your faith as valuable and precious and as a treasure in your life. The word keep is in the active voice. It means this, you make an, an intentional, intentional, conscious decision that I'm going to remain in God's will, in what God wants for me. How in the world do we do that? How do we, how do we keep ourselves in God's love? Well, let me make sure that we don't miss what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that we are responsible for keeping our eternal salvation. That's not, this is not an eternal salvation idea here. This is what this means. Listen to these words and they will be very familiar to you. John 15, verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You hear that? Father loved Jesus. Pretty 
expansively, deeply, eternally. And Jesus says, as he loves me, I love you. So then he says this, so abide, you stay, remain, remain in my love. Stay, stay in my love. I've been loved by the Father, that love I've received, I'm loving you. So you stay, you remain in that love. And then the question comes in, well, how do I do that? How do I remain in God's love? Again, not talking about eternal security, but how do I, how do I stay today on this March day, 2023? How do I stay in God's love. Listen to what Jesus said. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This is what it comes down to when Jude says, Keep your life in the love of God. How do we keep our life in the love of God? We keep it in the love of God by remaining and embracing the commandments. Fifth thing, look at 21, the second part. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This word waiting is a word that means to have a posture, to be ready. It's a deliberately being ready. I remember as a, I remember as a kid, um, when Pawpaw came to the Taylor house in Waco, he always had a $10 bill that he stuck in my hand that my parents didn't get to know about. And when I knew Pawpaw was coming, $10 was a big deal back then. That was a lot of money back then, much more than it is today. And I would, I would, boy, I would deliberately be anticipating Paul Paul to show up because there was always something in his pocket that got into my hand that got me some new basketball cards that I could buy or something else. Now listen, church, this idea here, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, Any idea of what that's referring to? The second coming of Jesus. When's the fullness of salvation eventually going to come? It's when we are in his presence. What Jude is saying this, one of the things that we need to navigate this is to have a anticipation and to be deliberately ready for Christ to come and to be here. And I tell you, when he comes, we will be changed. Do you want to be changed, like really changed? I do. Listen to what John writes. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies Himself as He is pure. There is a great future mercy that is coming to the people of God as we live anticipating the second coming of Jesus here on the earth. And I've been told, I've read it, I don't know who wrote it. I didn't write it down who wrote it. And they said this. They said that many Christians are gazers or they are goers. And I want to put forward, we need to be Gazing goers. Some people are just like 
just staring up there, come back, Jesus, and they don't notice anything around them. And I want to say, let's look up and gaze, but let's go and tell people about the gospel, to be missional, to talk to those that are drawing away from the faith and to call them back. So we, many people are either a gazer or a goer, and some people go without any mindset about the second coming. And I just want to remind us again as we step into the last point today, he is coming again. He's coming again. Lastly, Jude says, there's going to be people around you that are going to be weaker. But I think you would agree with me, the church needs strong people of depth that know God and know truth because if the weak are guiding, then you've got trouble. So Jude in 22, look with me there. 22 and 23, he he describes three. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here's the last thing that we must have. Those who are spiritually mature must have a concern for the weak. So some doubt. Some just turn away and walk away and they are in danger of the fires of hell. And then there are those who live in the danger. The last description there of spiritual pollution. He talks about a garment that's stained. They just live covered by their sin. And they wear it. So let me deal with these three briefly and we'll finish this up. We are to have mercy on the doubters. I have a call as a pastor to hold high the standard of holiness. And yet I know Sunday after Sunday that I struggle and you struggle and that there are people that come here that wrestle with matters of strong faith. But I have a responsibility to call us and remind us that there is a high call to faith. And so we want to, we do, we want to be patient with those who doubt. I was that person. At 17 years of age, I would go to church. Children and students in the room, they used to have these things called bulletins. They'd give you a folded piece of paper when you came in. They told you about all the stuff we used to do it here. And my friends and I would get those, and I would get them, and I'd get a pen, and I'd cover in all the B's and the Q's, the little circle, And just go, when is this thing going to be over with? I was a doubter. In my junior year of high school, God moved a passionate follower of Jesus to be on my basketball team. And I know I've told the story, but I just want to highlight one thing. I struggled with algebra too. This believer did not. So for six months, he tutored me weekly, Algebra 2. Kept me eligible so I could play sports. But what God ultimately did, and I praise his name this morning for it, and I think you do, you have moments like this as well. 
I don't ever want to do Algebra 2 for the rest of my life. And I love you, God, but please don't ask me to do it in heaven. I guess I'll have a perfect mind. But I stand here this morning rescued of my sin because of Algebra 2. It put me in the life of someone who loved Jesus and it changed my perspective of Jesus. And so at the end of my junior year, I wanted what my friend had. And I was a doubter. I was a doubter. And I'm thankful that the youth minister at my church, we used to have a thing, we had an hour for lunch. I don't know if that happens ever anywhere. But the church that our family attended, that I went to and didn't like going to, Every Monday had Monday lunch where they bring the church vans up there. They bring you to the church campus and you'd get a free lunch and there'd be a devotion. My freshman, sophomore, and all of my junior year until the middle of April, he asked me every Monday, hey, you want to come? No, thank you. I was a doubter. On a Sunday night, I became a believer. On Monday, he asked me, did I want to come? You know what I did? I got into the van and I went to that church. So so hear this. We don't ever compromise the truth. But we're patient with doubters. Why? Because many of us were that way. Can you imagine what our life would be like if somebody hadn't been patient with us along the way? Secondly, Jude deals with this thing. He said some people have so mocked Jesus and turned away from him. Even again, remember, he's dealing with people inside the church. That's what Jude's dealing with. He's not dealing with Gentile, crazy people. He's dealing with people inside the church. Some people so turn their back that they are in danger, Jude says, of the fires of hell. And so what do we do? Sometimes we go to them, and that kind of rescue can be ugly because they hate Jesus. And they don't want to hear hear anything about it. And they will say what they want to say and they don't care. But we've got to be the kind of mature people, according to what Jude says here, that we will save others by snatching them out of the fire. Sir John Seeley, I have no idea who he is. But he said something amazing. He said, when the power of reclaiming the lost dies out of the church, it ceases to be the church. So sometimes we seek to snatch people out of the fire. And then the third group Jude describes there is that to others show mercy, hating even the garment stained by flesh. This is a picture of someone that we love that was involved in the church and they're a drug addict now. And they don't look the same, they don't talk the same, they don't live the same. This is somebody that was in the church that has come out and they are deep into homosexual lifestyle. This is somebody who's in the church, who's, who's is walked away from their marriage and is sleeping around with a husband that walked away from his marriage, and he's sleeping around with multiple women, and yet still saying to his spouse, yeah, I'm open to getting back with you. 
These kind of people, they just wear garments stained with sin. And so Jude does something beautiful here. He says, don't hate that sinner. Hate what sin's doing to them. So he says, even to them, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by flesh, that they just wear the sin openly and, and it breaks our heart when we see this and we know it. So as mature followers of Christ, we never want to affirm the manner in which anybody is living and, and what they are saying or what they've clothed themselves in in regard to their sin. And the lost just do this. They, they walk in the clothing of their sinful acts, acts. And since they are lost, the only thing that covers them is the garment of sin. But I just want to remind us this morning, such were some of us one day. And I'm thankful for a youth minister named Val. Just as I stand before you this morning, I need to find out if he's even still alive. I don't even know anymore. I used to keep in touch with him. But I am so incredibly thankful today that Monday after Monday, he asked me. You know how easy it would have been to just ignore me? He asked me Monday after Monday after Monday for two and three quarter years. And I was walking around in a garment stained with sin. So praise God for mature believers that Jude describes here who know how to navigate a culture like this and know how to hold high the standard and yet aim to rescue the perishing. I had something else that I was going to do is to finish this up, so I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll do it another time. But I want to remind us of some words that you probably know and we'll finish up. There's an old hymn. Let the weight of these words fall on you. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Though they are sliding him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly. Plead with them gently. He will forgive if only they will believe. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died. And the chorus is just this. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus 
will save. This gospel that we have proclaimed today and that has washed over our lives is the answer to the lies in our culture. So let's be the kind of people that navigate our lives the way Jude describes here that we must do. Let's pray.